Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of of Slippers and Spindles. I'm Cassie. I'm Drew. Hello. And uh, my husband and I have added a new member to our household. Oh, who's that? <laughs> we we got a Roomba. Oh my gosh! I know. I was and, uh, ready for been... a puppy, a cat. No, no, I was no. not ready for a Roomba. I guess it's appropriate, though, that you added it a is. robot for this episode. We now have a robot, a mobile robot, because we have, like, the Alexa, you know, that sort of thing. But we have a mobile robot now. Um, we've been setting it up as if we have a pet, because we have one of the dumb Roombas, like, the $200 ones and not the $1,000 ones. Right. So it doesn't map our house. Right. It just kind of bumper cars around. So it goes until it hits <laughs> something and then it turns and goes in another direction. And every once in a while you get like a sad beeping noise from the other room. And I have to go, what did you get into now? Oh, no. And go and detangle like a charger cord or the bed skirt or something. So it's almost a puppy. It's almost like having a puppy, really. So we've been having a lot of fun with that around the house the last couple of days because neither of us are good at remembering to vacuum. So we had some friends of ours finally talked us into getting one because our whole place is carpeted. So Well, good for you. That's smart. You can tell my life's been a little bit boring lately because that's like the fun news story. Listen, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. I have literally no news. I have no update in my life. The only update is that I'm like even more stir crazy than I was before. And so now I'm like, I want to go to New York and I want to go to Disneyland and I want to go do all these things. And I just have to keep reminding myself that even if I went to New York, there is no show to see. Disneyland is closed. Nope. Disney World is open. Which is dumb. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's nothing new happening here. So happy to have a podcast. You to should get a going. Roomba. I yeah. could get a Roomba. My apartment is not big enough to justify having a Roomba, though, so I need to find <laughs> some fair. other form of excitement. Yeah, so anybody who listens to any of my husband's network podcasts, um, he runs a podcast network called Ghostlight Media, anybody who listens to those in addition to this one has heard a lot about the Roomba because it's been like our cold oh open gosh. material for like three of them now. Yeah, for every episode. So everybody oh gosh, knows we have a Roomba. Yeah. It's a thing. Yes. And so I just wow, felt like I'm I needed happy to... For you. Wait, wait, I have an important question, though. Yes. Have you named the Roomba? Yes. The Roomba's name is Friar Dingus. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have asked. There's a running joke in our Shakespeare podcast um, about the friar who pops up in all of these shows with uh, bad plans and convincing people to play dead. Because... That character's in more Shakespeare plays than you think. And so Chase had to give it a name when he was first setting it up. And so that was the first thing that came to his head was just the friar. And then after we had the thing running for a couple of days and we had to keep go rescue it from, you know, the horrifying things like a curtain, you know, we started calling it Dingus because it's a little bit of a Dingus. I mean, the name checks out. Yeah, so it's Friar Dingus. Um, yeah, and that's our Roomba. And I probably will never mention the Roomba again. This is going to be the only Roomba mention. Yes, now that we have enthralled our listeners and really drawn them in with the details of the Roomba, let's talk about let's talk about some more advanced robots. 
some androids, and some cyborgs. That was a very nice segue. Did you like that transition? I loved that transition. Thank you. I didn't even intentionally set you up, but it feels like I did. I know. I... I, I took that and ran with it. All right. I applaud that because today we are talking about Cinder by Marissa Meyer. And if you're unfamiliar, it is Cinderella, but Cinderella is a cyborg. Yes. We are now jumping many decades, centuries into the future. Centuries. Centuries, centuries into the future. Yeah. So um, Cinder came out in 2012. It's now set in the city of New Beijing in china which i think is so cool because um you know we talked about the greek and egyptian version of cinderella which is considered the oldest but kind of the second oldest is um the story of ye shen who is set in china and i I think marissa meyer does some interesting things with bringing in just some little nods to uh, the cinderella story being set originally in china Absolutely. And she does so in very smart ways. Mm -hmm. So just going to put at the beginning of the episode, the regular reminder, this is not spoiler free. Uh, We are going to be talking about this book in its entirety. And this book is the start of a series. There's four books in it in all called the Lunar Chronicles. And we will be mentioning things that spoil later in the series as well. Yeah, we are mostly focusing just on book one today. We'll talk about everything in a later episode. We've already got it planned out because they're all based on fairy tales. But just so you know, spoilers will be discussed in this podcast. Yeah, I think it's fair, though. I think we can say that for the most part, we'll be sticking to Cinder. Um, I think if we really are going to, you know, reference something from the later books, we can try to give you another little warning. So if you only read this book for this podcast, you should be safe. We'll let you know if you need to skip ahead a minute or two along the way. Yeah. So what Marissa Meyer has done is she has taken Earth very far into the future. It's not, we're not told exactly how far into the future it is, but it is far enough in the future that Earth has been through two more world wars. And out of the fourth world war, the countries of the world conglomerated into five mega countries So there's the Eastern Commonwealth, which is where this story is set, which pretty much just is all of Asia. Right. And there's the European Union. There's the American Republic. There's Australia, which is its own thing. Africa, which is its own thing. And then the United Kingdom, which still somehow is its own thing, which I thought was a little interesting. Um, So it's six, not five, but it's six like mega basically every continent kind of gets its own thing and then also the united kingdom gets to stay its own thing the rest of europe said "Eh, we're good (laughs) Eh. yeah but also there is one more very important uh society which is no longer set on earth but is set on the moon and so there's a a society called luna which is uh led by queen lavana blackburn Um, who is kind of the major villain of the entire series. Yes. And the moon colony has existed long enough that the people who live on the moon have kind of evolved into another species almost. Because lunars are almost always born with the inherent ability to manipulate the bioelectricity of the people around them. So basically they can make people see visions and they can change your perception of what they look like. 
And if you're not born with, like, a strong enough will or a strong enough gift to resist them, like if you're from the earth, you basically have no resistance to this gift at all. They can make you do anything. They can make you see anything. And so everybody on earth is really wary of the moon. The two societies don't interact at all, um, except that Queen Levana has been making overtures towards getting her hands on earth somehow. And so that's kind of the conflict that we start the story with. Right. And so Cinder starts off really with what feels like a much smaller story in a young woman named Cinder, who is a 16-year-old mechanic living in New Beijing. She is part cyborg. She believes that she was in an accident as a child that caused a lot of disfiguration. So she has a false leg and and one of her arms is prosthetic and she's got implants in her brain as well. So she can download information. It's actually, um, it's both a, a cool character concept and also a very clever writing concept in that um, Marissa Meyer is able to give us information in very creative ways that don't always feel like, you know, information dumps. Yeah, exactly. So she's basically got the internet in her brain. Uh, and right. so that's how you find out information about, like, the the prince when she meets the prince. Because her interface in her brain is automatically giving her all of this information. And Marissa Meyer gives you on the page, like, here's the prince. This is how old he is. This is a little bit of the history before Cinder, you know, sends the messages away like, oh, that's tiresome. But it's enough to give us as readers the information that we need about who is this character um, and what is the connection. And so, yeah, it's a really smart writing tool that she uses very, very effectively uh, through the whole series by virtue yeah, of having absolutely. Cinder as this this main character. Um, and so, yeah, so Cinder is, because she's a cyborg, she is legally considered property. She's not really considered a person. And so she belongs to her adopted mother, stepmother named Adri. And she was adopted by Adri's husband when she was 11. And then Adri's husband contracted the plague and passed away, leaving Cinder in the care of Adri. And this was five years ago. So Earth is consumed. Hmm. Earth is consumed in this book by a plague. We forgot to mention the plague. Forgot to mention Letumosis. the plague. Letumosis. Um, yes. So Letumosis was brought to Earth by shells, which shells are the name of the people who are born on Luna, but do not possess the power of what they call glamours or or that, that kind of magic, if you will. So they typically are outcast. They often are killed and uh, to to run away the only place they can run away to is to escape to earth and so um it is believed that shells brought this plague to the earth Mm -hmm. and so unlike our current global pandemic letimosis is much slower moving so in this book it's been on earth for about a dozen years but it's only infected I forget the number that they give, but it's not a super high number. But the thing with Letimosis is that it's always fatal. There is absolutely no cure and there's no recovering from it. So once you contract it, you are going to die. Yes. And once you do contract it, even though it moves more slowly in general, like just spread amongst the people, once you have it, it does move very fast. Yeah. 
And so when we open the story, um, the emperor has been stricken with Letumosis. And so his son, Prince Kaito, or Kai, uh, is facing the reality of being 19 years old. And very soon he's going to have to become king because it's very unlikely that they're going to find a cure, though they're working at it very hard. Um, but they're not going to find a cure before the emperor passes on. And so we meet Kai, like in Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Um, we meet Kai and Cinder meets Kai in the marketplace before any sort of ball, before any sort of, you know, fancy dress party. It's just he's coming with an android from the palace that needs to be fixed. And he knows that Lynn Cinder is a renowned mechanic. So he's bringing the android to her to fix. It's so interesting that we ended up talking about Rogers and Hammerstein and Cinder back to back where they both mm-hmm. meet in the marketplace, which is pretty cool. And so when uh, Kai shows up to, to Cinder's booth at the market, he asks for help to restore this, uh, an android that has information on it. Um, although at the time, Cinder is not told what kind of information it has. And um, so they have uh, a fun interaction and there's also the first appearance of cinder's own android eco who also belonged to her stepmother but um is more cinder's friend than anything else and eco or Iko, it depends on who you talk to with how it oh, gets pronounced oh yeah you can say it either you way can say marissa either Myers way. says eco she says so eco but the audiobook says Iko. Yeah. Which is interesting. I was looking up a lot of the pronunciations are interesting because they come from, you know, different languages and like mm-hmm. Lin can be saying, I think is said Ling, but is also a Vietnamese last name more than a, a Chinese last name. And there's like five different ways to say Adri or Adri or Audrey. So, you know, there's just yeah. uh, it's set in the future in a sci-fi world. So names can be said a variety of ways. Yeah, so it's it's a very interesting amalgamation of all of these different cultures, uh, which is one of the things I like about it, because I think, realistically, if you're going to take our planet and project it that far into the future, that's what's going to end up happening, is we're yeah. not going to be as split apart by by race as we are now, because eventually everything's going to kind of intermingle. Yeah, especially in a world where things are, you know, the societies have merged in such major ways. Yeah, so this is kind of the backdrop that she's built to tell the Cinderella story. And so there's kind of two stories that happen over the course of this novel. You've got the story that is setting up the rest of the series, and then you have the framework of the Cinderella narrative. And so Cinder's home life, she lives with her stepmother, Adri, who has two daughters, Pearl and Peony. And Pearl is the horrible, awful stepsister that you would expect from Cinderella, whereas Peony is the nicer stepsister. And so in this one, Peony and Cinder are actually really close. They're good friends. Um, so there's she's not a wicked stepsister, which other no. adaptations have tried to do. And I think this one does it really well. Um, yeah, even the 2013 Rogers and Hammerstein did this. And next week, uh, we'll talk about Ever After, and they do this as well. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty common thing that really comes from the, you know, from the French Perrault story, where one sister is older and meaner and calls her cinder wench, and one is younger, and it's only mentioned very briefly that she's not quite as mean, so she calls her Cinderella instead. And so from that one little line, we get all of these interpretations that... Um, you know, they set up the younger stepsister 
to be much nicer than the older. Yeah. And I really like it in this story. I think it works very, very well. I like to give Cinderella a friend. I think that's helpful. Yeah. It also helps to separate the two sisters. I think a lot of interpretations when they just make them both mean, it's really easy to just blend them together, especially when it's written as opposed to being a movie or something like that. So um, making one nicer is a great way to uh, set them up with different personalities. Even Olive in Ella Enchanted, she's horrible, but she's noted as like actually liking Ella and the things that she does that are Mm -hmm. like mean to Ella. She's just trying to like be her friend. She doesn't realize how nasty she is. Yeah, so it's a common trope when you're adapting Cinderella. Definitely. And uh, it's interesting to see the different ways that it plays out. In this case, uh, when Cinder gets home from the market, um, she finds her stepsisters being fitted for new gowns because coming up is the annual feast, the Peace Festival. And Mm -hmm. so the whole country is getting ready for that. And so Adri's getting her daughter's new dresses and Cinder's like, well, I'm ready for my dress fitting too. And Adri's like, well, if you fix the hover and you do all of these chores, then yes, this year you can go to the festival. Yes, very Cinderella. That's pulling from the Cinderella story. But what I like about twisting this one a little bit is that one of the things that Cinder can do because of her cybernetics is that she can tell when people are lying. There's a little like mm-hmm. indicator light in her vision. So when Adri says, oh, if you get this done, you can go to the ball. Um, there's that little orange light that blinks. And Cinder goes, well, okay, I know she's not telling the truth. I know she's never going to let me go. And so she does the whole, like, well, I don't really want to go anyway. Right. And I think, you know, that's an interesting interpretation, too. But she's got to get this part to fix this hover car. So she goes to the junkyard with Peony. And there they find this ancient car. This is my favorite little thing. I know. They call our time the second era. On Earth, And so they find this car from the second era that it has an internal combustion engine. Wow. And it so runs ancient. on gasoline. And it's like bright orange. And so mm-hmm. Peony at one point says it looks like a rotted pumpkin. Yes. So good. Such a nice reference. And Cinder in the story decides to fix this car up mm-hmm. so that it can be her escape vehicle because she's determined to get away from her stepfamily. Yeah. She's determined to to find a way to leave. So she's going to fix this up and it's going to be, you know, her private little project. But Peony contracts the plague, which kind of pushes the other half of the story into the forefront with setting up the rest of the series. Because Peony has the plague. And so Adri basically gives Cinder to the government to be a draft subject for the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And that's where we find out that Cinder's actually immune to the plague. Yes, we meet Dr. Erland, who I don't remember the exact order of everything that's revealed. So I'm just going to jump right in here. Dr. Erland is a uh, a scientist, kind of, from... Uh, he is lunar, but um, Cinder does not know that at first. And so... Nobody he, knows that. It's right. a big secret. Yes, yes, yes. But he... Um, we eventually learn that he was part of the rescue process for Princess Celine of Lunar, who was believed to have died when she was very little, like three years old. And um, it's believed that Queen Lavana, who was Celine's aunt, uh, it's believed that she killed Celine. And so uh, we eventually learned that Erland helped Celine in her escape 
but then at some point he lost track of Celine. That's a very basic version of what happened. Yeah. So, yeah, so she is immune to the plague, and because of that, she's going to keep coming back and giving blood samples, and she's going to be compensated for it, but she asks that it be in a separate account so that she has access to this money, and that's what she's using to really plan her escape and fix up the car and get the the parts that she needs. Yeah. Erland is also like, he's willing to do all of this for her because it's very clear that she is extremely special. Yeah. Cinder believes that she's just special because she's immune and she doesn't really understand why that is, but she is the only person to ever be immune. And so as a reader, you can guess there's going to be a reason for that. Yes, there's going to be some kind of big reveal. But the fact that she is continually going to the palace to help with this trial and this experiment gives her all sorts of reasons to continually run into the prince. And she's also got his android that she's fixing. But they build this relationship between her and Kai throughout the whole story. And it's very clear that Kai really likes her. And he invites her at one point to come to the the festival as his personal guest because they just got word that Lavana is coming to Earth, which has never happened before in like living memory, basically. Um, the people from the moon don't come to Earth. But Queen Lavana is coming to Earth and he doesn't want to get stuck with her because she is gunning for a marriage alliance. Like she wants to marry Kai mm-hmm. so that she has an in to ha- take over Earth, basically. And so... He jokes at one point, and I, I really appreciate this. He jokes with his advisor about, like, I should have gotten married because if I was married, then she wouldn't be able to marry me. And and the advisor's like, well, maybe at the ball, you will find a beautiful maiden to fall in <laughs> love with. And so that kind yeah. of ties in, again, more of the Cinderella narrative and, like, using the ball to find a bride. Um, yeah, it's, it's just set up as a joke. It's not set up yeah. as a sincere, like, this is what will happen. The advisor just kind of says that as a quip and Kai's like, haha, very funny. Yeah. And so we get we get back to the Cinderella narrative. It kind of disappears for a, a decent chunk in the middle of of the book. But we get back mm-hmm. to the Cinderella narrative as the the party approaches, as the festival approaches, because Cinderella isn't going to go. She's going to use that night to take her pumpkin car and drive out of the Eastern Commonwealth and escape her her guardian. But then she, in fixing the android, she gets this information that Kai needs to know because Queen Levana is actually planning to kill him. And so she has to go to the ball to get this information to Kai. And so by this point, Peony, her stepsister, has passed away from the plague, but she has Peony's gown, and so she puts that on. And at one point, Guy gives her mm-hmm. these gorgeous gloves but her other stepsister like throws grease on them, but she puts those on to cover her cyborg hands so that you can't tell. Um, oh, and I can't believe we forgot to mention this. The very first time we meet Cinder, she's removing her prosthetic foot because... Oh, yes. Because it's, it's, too small. it's too small. It's from when she was 11 and she's 16 now, and she's bought one second hand that she's put on. And then Adri finds out about that later and takes that foot away from her. And so the only way that she has to actually walk around is to have this old cybernetic foot that she like reattaches, but it's not attached very well because she's in a hurry. 
And so in that horrible, you know, kind of disarray in this wrinkled, dusty dress and these stained gloves and it's raining outside, she like shows up at the <laughs> ball. Well, she shows up at the ball and she like crashes the car yeah, as the- she like pulls up to the palace. So like her her escape car is now like broken. Like a rotted um, pumpkin. And yes. Then she she arrives at the ball like in basically looking the way that a traditional Cinderella would look when she's cleaning the fireplaces. Yes. And so it's this, it's again, it's this nice little nod and she gets announced, which she wasn't anticipating. She's just going to kind of go in and like sneakily mm-hmm. try to find Kai. Um, but she gets announced. And so everybody's looking at her and he like takes her to dance around the room. And uh, it's, I love their relationship and I love their interactions because he there's a confrontation with her step family and Kai steps in and he's like, she's my guest. Mm-hmm. She's here because I invited her. And he takes her like mm-hmm. dancing to get away from them. And as they're dancing, he's like, you don't know how to dance at all, do you? And her response is, <laughs> I'm a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really love love that element of their relationship. But she gives him this news that she came there to give which is you know queen lavana is planning to to kill you to murder you and at this point kai still doesn't know that she's a cyborg Mm-mm. and then queen lavana shows up she's there and she you know gets jealous and it's this whole thing at the ball that ends up revealing that cinder is a cyborg revealing that cinder is lunar which we we find out in this book um, and that's why she's immune to the plague. And at one point, she gets pushed down the stairs into the garden, and that cybernetic foot falls off. Yeah, and that's the reveal that she's that a she's cyborg. cyborg. And that becomes our yeah. slipper left behind on the stairs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so in this one, because we're setting up the rest of the series, we don't actually get that wrapped up conclusion of Cinderella. Uh, it's all left kind of in limbo because she gets thrown. She in gets prison. arrested. For being yeah. a lunar on Earth in violation of these treaties. Yeah. So then when she's in prison, uh, Dr. Erland returns to her, comes to her cell, and he gifts her a new hand with all these fancy new gadgets in it. He gifts her a new foot. And he gifts her with some information, which is that not only is Cinder a lunar cyborg, but she is also the missing Princess Selene. And um, that's why Queen Lavana is so intent on wanting her basically dead because Queen Lavana says, oh, she's a shell. She's part of the reason that this plague is here for you, like uh, on Earth. And she's using that as a guise to uh, demand Cinder's death. But really, Lavana has realized at the ball that Cinder is the missing Princess Selene. And so Dr. Elan says, I can't help you escape. But I can give you the tools that you need to escape. And please get out and meet me in Africa. And Cinder is left behind to figure out how to sort out this information, how she's going to escape. And that's pretty much the end of the first book of the Lunar Chronicles. So we don't get that conclusion of Cinderella. We don't get the happily ever after in this, but... Yes. Spoiler. Let's set up some spoilers. Set up spoiler some spoilers. Spoiler warning for later spoiler, books yeah. in the Lunar Chronicles. Um, I'm not going to spoil too much, but that foot, that cybernetic foot, keeps popping up through the series because Kai keeps it. He he holds on to it. 
And so, like, periodically, he'll be in his office and he'll, like, pick up this foot and be fiddling with it. And it's this this remembrance of, of Cinder. And it, the Cinderella story kind of wraps up a little bit, but you have to wait until the very end of the last book to get that conclusion moment of the foot being returned to Cinder in this, you know, Cinderella-esque gesture, uh, which I thought was cute. Yeah, when I first read the series, I like just assumed that, oh, we skip that, you know, that scene because it doesn't really make sense in this context. And so when I read the final book and that moment happens and he returns the the foot to her, I was like so surprised. It, it caught me by surprise because I uh, was so excited to see it. Yeah, it's just a really nice kind of coming full circle and everything, mm-hmm. everything that is fairy tale about this series is done very deliberately and very carefully. And I really appreciate that about it. It's one of my favorite things about the series is how smart all of the fairy tale elements are added. So she's got this big grand revolution story that she's telling and she uses fairy tales as the vehicle to move that forward, but it never feels forced and they never feel at odds with each other. So this first book is Cinderella and then the subsequent books are Little Red Riding Hood and Rapunzel and Snow White. And it all just meshes together beautifully. And I think using Cinderella as the starting place for this story works really well, too. And I used to run a book blog um, back in 2012, 2013, right when this book came out, where I would do basically what we're doing with this podcast, where I would read adaptations of fairy tales and write reviews of them. And just for fun, I went back and reread my Cinder review because it had just come out when I was Ooh. doing that project. It was a new book. Yeah. And at that point, none of the rest of the series had been published, and I didn't know it was the first book of a series. And so I went back and read my review, and one of the things that stuck out to me about what I said was, I'm really disappointed that Marissa Meyer went with the super secret princess trope because it's tired and overdone. And I was, like, legit upset about it when I read this for the first time. But... It's because nine times out of ten, I don't like that trope because nine times out of ten, it's done really lazily. But this series, because it continued past the first book, doesn't do it lazily. She really takes the time to set up uh, that trope and what does it mean to be someone who's been raised not as royalty and then be thrust into a position where you have to assume you know, royalty and responsibility. And I think that that ties in with Cinderella really well, because that's one of those lingering questions at the end of Cinderella, if you project the events past our happily ever after, is you've got this girl and she's a commoner and all of a sudden she's going to be a queen. And what is that like for her? Like, that's a question that doesn't get answered a lot as you try and navigate how are you a commoner going to fit into a royal life that you've not been raised to? And so I... My opinions have changed in the eight years since I read this book for the first time. And now I really like that that's an element of it because I think it does extend that question from Cinderella through the rest of this series. And I think Marissa Meyer does a really good job answering it. Yeah, absolutely. I did not read this book when it first came out. Um, I remember seeing it on the shelves and just the sci-fi element did not appeal to me. 
Um, but then as more books came out, I was like, okay, I, I'm sooner or later, I'm going to have to read these. And I'm ashamed of how long it took me to read them. But uh, at the same time, I'm glad I did because by the time I did, I had the full series published. So I, I wasn't waiting. I wasn't, uh, you know, the victim of any cliffhangers. I was able to go from one book to the next, to the next, to the next. And I certainly did because this uh, Cinder is a fantastic launch for a uh, an amazing series yeah and it uses like you said it uses fairy tales so carefully like one of my biggest gripes with some other uh retellings of fairy tales especially when they use multiple um fairy tales together is that the person doesn't fully understand the fairy tale well enough to you know mesh them all together and marissa meyer she, I think, uses them more carefully than most people do. Even looking ahead a little bit to Little Red Riding Hood, there are elements to that story that I think people just, they just drop because they don't they don't work very well. Like the wolf pretending to be the grandmother. You know, I think um, when people try to expand that story, that moment gets dropped a lot or it's played off as a joke or something. And Marissa Meyer uses it in a fresh new way that is um, really exciting and it shows how much she she cares and how much she took her time to really think all of this through. Even also um, looking at the death of um, Peony, the younger stepsister, um, goes back even to the story of Ye Shen, who only has um, one half-sister in her story. So by losing Peony to the plague, it takes the story back to those Chinese roots. Yeah, it absolutely does. And uh, there's a great moment as well when they're talking about Cinder getting ready to go to the ball and she doesn't have shoes to wear and she uses her stepsister's shoes. And the only reason it fits the one foot is because it's an 11 year old's foot and it's super small. And mm-hmm. so like there's that nod as well. And as it's also a nod to the the Chinese, the old Chinese tradition of foot binding to make your feet Mm-hmm. super small and so it's kind of a nod to those elements as well and it's just all very very well thought out and i think that the cinderella narrative is used as a launching point for this revolution story very very well it makes it a little difficult to talk about it as a cinderella adaptation without getting into the nitty-gritty of all the other stuff that's going on in this book but i think cinderella gives this a really great solid framework and i think it's done to great effect and i think we will see that when we move into discussing our criteria for yes let's the do adaptation it. what do we want out of an adaptation of cinderella so number one is the uh we want cinderella to have more agency in her uh, uh her her story basically and boy <laughs> a plus 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 Cinder certainly does. She, even though she has these legal restrictions against her, like there are things she's legally not allowed to do because she technically belongs to Adri, she pushes against them as much as she can, as often as she can. When Peony's first stricken with the plague and Adri sends her with the droids, like she fights back against them so hard with everything at her disposal that they have to like tase her basically, like literally to get her into the the room and even when she's in the lab she's like fighting against the restraints on the table and she's like thinking about i've got a wrench in my calf and if i could get to that i could throw it and i could break the wind like she's constantly you know making plans how do i get control of this situation 
Yeah, that is so true. Cinder is really um, feisty. Like she has so much um, like fire within her. She's like feisty and bold and brave and, you know, nothing is going to stop her. Yeah. And she part of the reason that Kai feels such a connection to her is that she doesn't treat him the same way that everybody around him treats him. Like she is a little bit snarky Mm -hmm. and she's a little bit, you know, sassy. And I think that appeals to him in a lot of ways. Yeah, which I think is something that a lot of Cinderella adaptations do is that they have Cinderella talk to the prince like he's a real person as opposed to someone who is, you know, of royal lineage. Um, I think Ella Enchanted does that. I think Rodgers and Hammerstein, just by putting him in disguise, you know, he gets that moment with Cinderella where he, uh, you know, isn't being treated like royalty. And um, I I think we'll see that in the future as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Which leads us into our second criteria, which is uh, give the prince a larger role in the story and kai certainly has that yeah i mean i think no prince has a larger role in a cinderella story than prince kai and i love the parallels that get built in this series with kai and cinder because kai becomes emperor at 19 Mm. Uh, his father passes away in this story and he's getting crowned by the end of it but he's 19 years old and he's a kid still but now he has to be responsible for this entire country and millions of people and it's a really nice juxtaposition as the series continues with cinder who's also struggling with those questions of how do i i'm 16 and never knew i was a princess and never knew that i was lunar and how do i fit into being a leader for these people and so it's it's this really beautiful thing that they both have in common and i love that that's part of kai's struggle that he very much struggles against having to be this ruler in charge, but also just wanting to be a kid and have a normal life and not feeling equipped to be a leader against all of these other world leaders who are decades older than he is and who all look at him as if he's this young, angry kid, which he is. He is. I think this also sets up their relationship through the rest of the series, um, because like as you mentioned these two things are are happening in parallel through the rest of the series. And um, since Cinder is now on the run, there's not a lot of opportunity for Cinder and Kai to interact. And Marissa Meyer does come up with some very clever moments where they can interact and she does bring them back together. But because they're both dealing with this same issue, even in the moments where they're apart, you still feel and understand their connection. Yeah. And it's, it's really beautifully done. And because in this book, she works in all of these like little meetings at the palace and there's this whole running storyline with fixing the android and finding out what's wrong. And Kai has been looking for Selene. Like that's Kai's solution to this problem. How do I get out of this problem is, will I find the missing lunar heir? And Cinder at this point, of course, doesn't know that she is the person he's looking for, but she's all in to help him find this person if it means stopping Lavana. And so you've got that that running thread through the whole thing. And there's several moments where they they touch base and they they meet up. And there's another great scene where 
he's been sending her all of these messages about coming to the ball and she hasn't been responding to any of them. And he like shows up at her booth again. And he's like, I think there's something wrong with my port screen because it's too much to ask that the best mechanic in the city has something wrong with hers, but she won't respond to any of my messages. And it's like, dude, you got dressed up in disguise and went down to the market like specifically to make that joke to her. (laughs) I love it. I love it a lot. And so, no, Kai is one of my favorite interpretations of Cinderella's prince. I really, really love him as a character on his own. And I really love him as the prince in the role of this story. Yeah. So then our third criteria is to address the plot transgressions. And the first one is, why does Cinderella's father allow her to be treated so badly? In this version, actually, in this version, we don't ever know who Cinderella's biological father is. That's true. Because the queen... Her mother didn't even know who the father was. And that's part of her characterization that comes out in later books. Um, That Lunars are much less adhering to like monogamy than Earthens are. They don't, it's not a value for them. It's not Mm -hmm. a priority for them. And Mm so Cinderella's biological father is completely unknown. Yeah. But the role of Cinderella's father from the fairy tale is filled in by this character of Garen, who is uh, Lynn Adry's former husband who has now passed away and he was uh involved in saving princess Celine uh, even more than dr erland and so after Celine, you know had her um, operations and became a cyborg she was adopted by garen so that he could take care of her and so he took her back to new beijing and renamed her cinder actually another woman uh selected the name cinder but Adri never wanted this cyborg. She has always hated Cinder. Um, and Garen knew that they were protecting, you know, the, the lost heir to Luna. And so he knew the importance of it, but she never did. And so he eventually, he caught the plague and, and passed away before he could ever tell Adri what was really going on. Um, and so the answer to why does Cinderella's father allow her to be treated so badly is per usual that he is no longer in the picture. But what I appreciate about that in this story is that in some other stories, it just feels like, well, we'll just kill him. Whereas this one, his death is actually part of the reason why Cinderella is treated so badly, because he died Mm. before he could ever tell his wife about why he did this. And that's one of the biggest questions for her is, why did my husband saddle me with a cyborg ward that I have to be responsible for? Because he never got to tell her, we're actually protecting the heir to the Luna throne. And if she had known that, then Cinder would have been treated a lot differently. If Garen had been around to help raise Cinder, she would have been more prepared for this role that she has to step into. Because he would have been there to help guide her through it and to tell her who she was. And so his death actually contributes to the circumstances that Cinder finds herself in. And I think that that's a really clever way to add to that question i think it's really smart yeah absolutely i agree well and this kind of moves into our next point which is why doesn't she fight her servitude which is largely because she is legally unable to um as you've mentioned already that she is the legal property of uh adri so if she were to try to run away or anything like that they're all, all humans are chipped they all have a microchip in their wrist so like she would be tracked super easily there's just there's all kinds of things in place that prevent her from being able to run away earlier 
But she does fight her servitude as much as she's able to within those That's definitely true. Uh, which I yeah. I love about her. Um, why doesn't the fairy godmother show up earlier? There isn't really a fairy godmother in this one. Yeah, I I listened to um, a podcast interview that Marissa Meyer did, and she kind of attributes the fairy godmother role to three different characters. So she says Peony, Eco, yeah. and Dr. Erland all kind of play a part in um, filling the fairy godmother role. Yeah, because, you know, the dress comes from Peony and Mm -hmm. Eco, you know, is the one who's constantly telling her, like, why don't we go to the ball? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And so she's kind of the, like, the cheerleader that keeps her spirits up. And then Dr. Erland is giving her this important information and giving her this sense of purpose. But much like the Cinderella from the Grimm version, Cinder really gets to the ball on her own. She mm-hmm. she makes the decision to go and she gets herself there. And so there's not a fairy godmother as such. And that's kind of the answer to that question. So, like, I think it's really interesting that the fairy godmother kind of gives Cinderella support in three ways. She gives her emotional support, which is eco. She gives her information that she needs, which is Dr. Erland. And then she gives her physical items that she needs, which come from peony in the form of the dress the car also is found with peony. Like, I, I just think it's interesting that there's kind of these three pieces that each one of them fills. Yeah, and Eco is actually the one who presents her with this cybernetic foot. Because Cinder told Eco yes. to throw it away, and Eco had saved it. And so yes. when Cinder's like, she took my foot away, I don't know how to get anywhere. Eco's like, well, I have this for you. And so that's kind of presenting the glass slipper as it were. Mm-hmm. The next question is, why don't the glass slippers disappear? Nothing disappears. And then are they comfortable? No. It's not a glass slipper, <laughs> but it's a foot that's too small. And so it it talks a lot about how uncomfortable it is mm-hmm. for her to have as part of her, her body. Um, so I thought that was a kind of a nice nod to that question of wouldn't glass slippers be uncomfortable? And so she works that discomfort into the narrative. Which I thought, again, very smart. This book is so smart. Absolutely. Chris Meyer is so smart. And then the last question, um, why is the slipper needed to identify Cinderella? It identifies her as a cyborg more than identifying her as a character to the prince. Cassie, that was good. It's not me. It's all Marissa. Yeah. No, you're right, though. It it reveals part of her identity to him at the ball rather than identifying who she is later on. Yeah. Yeah. And so that question of identity carries through the whole series. And this foot is kind of at the center of that question of identity because as Kai holds on to it as the rest of the series goes on and he's constantly contemplating like, did she lie to me? Was everything just a manipulation? She's lunar, so she could do that. She's a cyborg. She didn't tell me that either. And so this foot is kind of always there as a symbol of that question of who is cinder really and i think Mm. that also is is a really clever way to play with that aspect of the means of identification so i think that cinder gets top marks across the board as an adaptation of cinderella it hits all the points that i want it to it's really fun it's really smart the characters are all great i absolutely love it and if you haven't read it you need to 
it's so weird to me to talk about the Lunar Chronicles and to stop with Cinder. Like there, I know my favorite character from this series isn't even mentioned in this book, which is so weird. But yes, I highly recommend Cinder and the entire Lunar Chronicles series. It's fantastic. Yeah, and we will be talking about the Lunar Chronicles as a whole on a later episode at some point in the nebulous future at some point um, we'll we get there when, but at some point we will get there we promise real quick i want to give a shout out to two other podcasts uh one is the happy writer which is marissa meyer's own podcast she interviews authors and it's really fascinating and it gives you lots of great book recommendations and there's one episode where she is interviewed by a fan um, so you get a lot of cool insight there but that fan also runs a podcast called the prince kai fan pod which is a book club podcast all about marissa meyer's books and they start with cinder and they go chapter by chapter through their series so um, definitely highly recommend both of those podcasts as well absolutely check them out You can also find us in various places on the internet to talk to us about Mm -hmm. this episode and past episodes. Uh, We are on Instagram at of slippers and spindles. You can also email us at of slippers and spindles at gmail.com. And brand new, we have a Facebook page now. We're on a Facebook. We're on Facebook because some of you were asking about places where you could ask questions or drop suggestions or interact with other people who are listening. And so we set that up for you. And we hope that you'll go join that group and uh, chat with us and chat with each other. That would be really cool. We would love it. All right. Well, I think that's everything we have about Cinder. Next week, we will be talking about the movie Ever After, starring Drew Barrymore, who I think has a really great first name. You would. Thank you. Thank you. I thought of that joke on the fly, (laughs) and I appreciate that I got no laughter from you or probably any of the (laughs) listeners. So anyway, tune in next week to hear us talk about Ever After. If you want, I can do a little bit of a laugh right now, and you can edit it back in when you said the joke. No, no. No? Leave the empty silence. Sounds great. Well, we look forward to hearing what you guys thought about this episode and how you feel about Cinder, and we will... See you all next week.